the miracle of life. What enters your mind when you think of that? Is it just some trite phrase? Is it something that we have to logically deconstruct so that we can get rid of the word miracle and just understand life from some sort of pseudo-mechanical point of view? Does it bring you in mind of a religious god, spirit, Mama Earth? Does it put you in touch with any of that as a feeling, or is it just a thought, an association, a bunch of words? And how deep is that feeling? Does that feeling come from a nostalgia of some sort? Maybe you remember looking at a beautiful mountain, clouds that had faces in them, the time you gave birth, or watched your partner give birth. That feeling in the moment, how different was that feeling in the moment from the memory of it, the thought recreation of it, to support that feeling, really? Does the miracle of life have any real meaning for you? Or is it just something you say? And then there's like an assumption that we all know what we're talking about. And, oh yeah, the miracle of life. Mm. And it's sort of the surface topical level uh, word association to a feeling that we once had. Really... When you think about the way in which we talk about the miracle of life, we talk about it in terms of the new, don't we? I mean, even talking about well, babies and all of that, uh, that's the miracle of life. Normally, when we talk about the miracle of life, we, uh, we're thinking about our, our own human births, but sometimes, you know, we expand out and include others every now and then. Um, but again, it's in service to our, the, the feeling that we get about the new, because in our society, we need the new to feel stimulated, right? We're constantly looking for the new thing, the new trinket, the new toy, the new show, new, new, new. And this is actually arrested development. This isn't what adults should be. <laughs> Uh, you know, like children need it. Children need the new because they take in the outside world to learn how to differentiate from the world. Right. And that's part of forming and understanding themselves or the self even. But in our society, we, we haven't really by and large learned to grow out of that. I mean, even me, uh, my childhood was all about, I want that new toy, you know? Mommy, I want that. Daddy, I want that. I mean, that was the refrain for my youth. And one of the things I really wanted was a Snoopy snow cone machine. And when I think about that Snoopy snow cone machine now, I never got it. It's one of the toys that I, I never got as a kid. Um, but, oh, I remember the jingle. You put your ice cubes in and get a snow cone out. Yum yum thought is what it's all about. Some assembly required, baby. Isn't that the bane of every parent's existence? <laughs> Hearing some assembly required. I guess that's a good thing about um, 
this computerized generation. Maybe they're not playing with toys that require assembly so much anymore. I don't know. Um, when I think about how that sense of nostalgia for something I never had, that want for childhood things, feels. I mean, it's gluttony. <laughs> and what is gluttony? Gluttony feels good and terrible at the same time, right? So like Christmas, I, I used to love Christmas. I used to love getting gifts. It was better than, than my birthday because um, my parents were poor. And so on birthdays, they'd get you the, you'd have to like whittle down what you wanted to like the one thing that you really wanted. So they get you a bunch of the crap that you don't want. And then the one thing that you really want. Whereas Christmas, it's opened up, you know, it's, it's open season for all the relatives who gather at Christmas. So you're getting gifts from everybody and you're getting all this stuff you want, you know, Christmas is, is a wonderful thing in our place. And it's more dynamic in scope because it, you know, it includes gifts and uh, as I said, but it's also, um, gifts again from different people. And then there's food and then there's Santa, you know, like. All of that gives you that warm feeling inside, but that warm feeling in inside, there's something off about it, <laughs> right? Because it's gluttonous. It also feels kind of bad. Like even stuffing your face with turkey and potatoes and stuffing and gravy and all of that. You know, you just, you, you want to consume it all. It's so tasty. It's so good. You feel so good. You're with your family. They're all joking around or they've, they've condemned you to the child's table and, and you're sitting there sulking because you want to be with the adults, whatever it is, but there's still that good feeling because, hey, it's Christmas. There's snow on the ground. Everything's going your way. Everything's turning out Jeremy Vaney, you know? But then you eat just a little bit too much and there's not room for pie, but, uh, but you eat the pie anyway. Oh, yes, you do, baby Jeremy. You eat the pie anyway. And uh, then you don't feel so good. But you still do feel good at the same time, but you feel awful at the same time. And it's the same thing with having unwrapped all of your gifts, all the anticipation, all the do the unwrapping and the seeing and the wow, look at that, and uh, Star Wars figures and all that. And then uh, and then it's over. And then you're left with A, the disappointment of uh, things that were falsely advertised to you that actually kind of suck. And B, like after the thrill of playing with these toys for the first time wears off, they're now part of the collection. And that collection keeps growing because that desire and that gluttony and that good part of the terrible feeling take over for a time until the bad <laughs> sets in. What a great way to look at childhood, isn't it? The miracle of life, folks. The miracle of life. But the point is, the new is something that we take in, again, from the outside, whereas the miracle of life, which ostensibly we mean the new when we say that, um, but that is a, a, a sense, I mean, it's more than a feeling, it, it's what you are, it's what you exude, it is something that we feel from the inside out, which is why those of us who do never seek the new. The new is what happens moment to moment. The real new, the true new. New outside of thought constructs and wants and desires and gluttony. That sense of the new is what happens moment to moment, not treat to treat. Not gift to gift. It is its own gift. 
that new is vital. That sense of the new is, in fact, the spark of life, is aliveness itself. And when we're not that aliveness inside, we seek to stimulate our senses, our emotions, our nervous system, all of it, one event at a time. Or hopefully a whole bunch of events at once. Just a flurry of arms and Christmas wrapping, uh, raining down from the living room. This is obvious when we use external examples, right? But let's not exclude all of you who spend your days meditating and doing yoga poses to feel something, or to have visions. Those of you who take hallucinogens to remember that the 9 to 5 grind isn't all of reality. Or uh, those of you who sit around doing live chats in online coded language with gifs and emojis and all of that to access that feeling of relationship missing in you. Missing in you first, and then your life. Missing in the sense that you're not waking up every morning fulfilled, and so you seek whatever's missing, in this case, the love of other people, or touch. You seek it online. Externally. Through some false sense of internality. <laughs> uh, because, you know, it's the internet. So with all of that in mind, let's really take a look at what the miracle of life is, what it means within us, coming out. Again, the new is something that happens at you, to you, in the way that we normally treat the new. We're always looking out there for it. We're always wanting that, that next fix, that next stimulation, that next thing to add to ourselves. Whereas the authentic new is perpetual, is the revitalizing force, the grease that keeps all of this wheel alive, this big old wheel alive. And so if you think about the miracle of life in terms of, well, you can think of it in terms of babies. Um, you could think of it in terms of the cycles of the day the day into the night into the day. The next day is new, but babies are always coming. And the day is always turning into the night, and the night is always turning into the day. So while these are external events that we see and take in with our senses and feel however attached we are to them, there's also an impersonal ever-presence about that cycle. And that's also us. And we can understand ourselves as that, which is, which is to say feel ourselves as that in this case. And when we do, that newness is actually coming from within us. That impersonal vital force is also us. And because we're self-aware, sentient, whatever we are, we can know ourselves as that, self-awareness. I mean, that vitality has its own awareness, and that awareness is our awareness, whether we're self-aware as it or not, but we can actually be self-aware as it. It's so funny how true this is on every level, and yet we, we pay very little attention to it, you know? 
I mean, we do say generally like, oh, everything is one energy. But we, when we say that, we, we reduce all of the liveliness of all of the things that are the appearances, the things that we say that are illusions, but are really the interconnecting uh, relationship within that oneness that, that is also an aspect of that oneness. And then the, the, the perpetual nature behind all of that. Like, here's just a stupid example. Um, just like, uh, like how you can't recreate yesterday, <laughs> even. Uh, when you do podcasting, like sometimes I'll do podcasts, I'll record these things, and then I'll do a take two or a take three or whatever. But it isn't ever a perfect match. Because, and especially if it's the next day, or even, I mean, even a few minutes later, but an hour later, like... So much goes into just speaking like this into a microphone that we all take for granted. I mean, you you do this at home. Speak into your microphone about something you care about and then do it again and see how different it is. And it's different because you don't feel like you did as it was coming out of your mouth the first time. You don't have the same uh, even vital energy about it um, because you're doing a second take. You've already done it and you're trying to match the emotion and the feeling and all of that of the first take. So that isn't a match. Your voice, the register of your voice, depending on the time of day. But even if it's like five minutes later, it's still off a little bit. Whatever mood you're in, just generally as you're speaking, uh, informs in what comes out and can't be recreated. The background static, just the noise, you know, in, in the air is different at different times of day different constantly the lilt of your voice the volume of your voice your breath intake due to state of anxiety or relaxation or excitement whatever all of this stuff is different moment to moment and it may be hard to see moment to moment but it's really easy to see within 10 minutes within an hour within especially a day how different you are than you were yesterday and it often feels as though, and probably is exactly like, <laughs> uh, that the thing that gives us continuity in life is the problems that we carry over day to day. Which is why we're constantly giving ourselves problems, because we want continuity. Even though we're looking for the new and constantly demanding new experiences and new trinkets and all of that, there is the onenessy aspect to us that we're avoiding that comes to us in that avoidance as perpetuity, our perpetual nature, right? So that perpetual nature gets funneled into dysfunctional things like problems, <laughs> problems that we bring up for ourselves and either constantly solve or can't solve, but they just stick with us and we wake up with them. If they don't exist, we'll create them. Because that's what this dysfunctional mind does. That's what we've done with the miracle of life, folks. We've made a huge problem of ourselves. And now extrapolate that out to the world. You're welcome, world. I was thinking all this because I was, uh, you know, standing around outside lurking in my yard and uh, looking at the sky and just feeling the miracle of life from the inside out, the appreciation, the joy, and all of that 
just by looking at the sky. And it was legit. It wasn't like a phony, like tree hugger kind of, I feel something because I'm really having a mental breakdown and now I'm going to go force everyone to feel joy too. Don't you guys feel it? Don't you feel it? Like, uh, you need help, dude. No, not like that. Hopefully. But in the real, just legit, like, oh, it just spontaneously comes upon you. And in that moment, that I should say, that moment contained also the understanding of not just that that sense of the miracle life is is coming from the inside out, but that this is the reason, because we don't have that in us, like we don't, we don't culturally have rites of passage or ways to teach ourselves to to grow into adults who see the world through that lens, right? Uh, this is a good reason why so many of us can look at life around us and just see things that serve us or don't, like animals or food, and that's it. You know, farm animals, food, uh, or... Hey, I want to do that. My rights. I have a right to do this thing that hurts you. So I'm going to do it. Uh, Like, send your kids to school, and now they have to be taught how to hide appropriately from shooters because I have a right to carry an assault weapon. Like, that's... (laughs) My right to carry an assault weapon is is more moral, ethical... (laughs) standard of living to perpetuate that in all forms. I mean, why, you know, like, like not just hunting rifles and stuff, but you know, like assault weapons, assault rifles. Uh, the, we see the world that way because we're so disconnected. We're so looking for things from the outside in and that gets boring and we constantly need new stimulation and new ways to stimulate. And, when it's inside out, it's never boring. The miracle of life is perpetual. That feeling is the ever-present case. And when it's not you, sometimes it comes upon you, or you tap into it, or however that is, and then it becomes an experience. And But then, we, you know, nine times out of ten, we go right back to our lives of externalizing. And then we just had that one time when we felt some weird... Uh, unification with the sky or the ground or the animals or what, you know, whatever we put the word the on to keep them at bay. You know? So looking at the sky, that's boring or it gets boring after a while and you want to do something else. Unless you're in the moment feeling yourself as the vital life force that is also sky. In really seeing the beauty, the the multidimensional nature of beauty, not just like, wow, that's beautiful, but like really being at one with the beauty. Then there's no interval of thought to say that's boring. There's no interval of time. When you are one with something, that's it. There is the one. There is no interval of time. There's no divide between you and other. And it's odd to me that we do have these fleeting moments like that, many of us, most of us probably, in our lives, and have just trained ourselves or been trained to overlook it, to live with the miserable, to, instead of 
feeling, uh, always feeling that miracle of life, that vitality that we are of just doing the dysfunctional problematic version until we pummel each other into the ground. Somehow, that's more appealing. <laughs> Even though it isn't. Because, why? Because that is the continuity of thought. The self, you as thought, the self-center. The moment when you experience yourself, not as yourself, but the self drops away and you are the vitality, that is the cessation of thought. That's, you're gone. Can't have that. That can only be a blip on a radar. That can only be an experience that you add to yourself, not something that you go, wait a minute. That was the absence of self. So who am I if I can be absent from myself? <laughs> and the funny thing to this, the, the tell that it is you when the mask of self drops and you realize, oh, well, I guess you realize it when the mask of self is back up and you go, oh, whoops, what was that? Oh, that was me. I am also that, that other state of mind or stage of being. The tell that that's true is that you can't recreate it. You can't sit silently ever as yourself and try to be one with the silence that, uh, or somehow enter the silence that leads to this understanding, the miracle of life, right? Like if you ever sit silently, if you've ever done this as a meditation or a prayer or just a sitting silently, it's a faux silence, isn't it? Because you're actually, when you're doing this, you're in a state of anticipation, which is why the mind is constantly roaming around looking for things to do or think about or sing about. You're in a state of anticipation. You're expecting something to happen. You're trying to will something to happen by not willing anything to happen, but with a wink and a nudge. It's the difference between sitting silently and being silence. Being silence. Silence becoming you. It's not something you control, right? You don't become silence. When the body quiets you completely, silence becomes you, which is why these things sort of just happen on their own spontaneously now and then. So how do we get there? How do we get back to where Earth is enough? Where we live right now is enough. Who we live with is enough. Who we are is enough. And that it always feels spontaneous and new and alive. Not something that we just crumple up into a little ball and throw into the garbage can and then dream of going off into another planet and doing it all over again or going into the virtual reality space and recreating life there, but anime style or whatever. The question, why aren't we enough? Why isn't this enough why does it feel boring or old or not a thought at all i mean think about how crazy that is how little people think about their surroundings and how miraculous this all is how little identity they have with the miraculous that they feel so awful and dead inside and like like all life is about for so many people is making a fake connection with other humans on, like, political topics, for instance, 
um, or pseudo-spiritual topics, for instance, or UFO topics, or whatever it is. I mean, these are the things that I've concerned myself with or dabbled in the communities of or whatever. But there are people for whom that is everything. That to to over-identify with uh, systems and subjects that are wholly imagined, wholly created within human imagination, and say that that's life when all of this miraculous stuff out here is begging for you to join us. How are we at a state where not only do we overlook it or think it's boring or not care, but are actively destroying it, you know, so that we can fuel this fake inner life. We can electrify the grid and keep this fake inner life going. Or <laughs> even keep us driving to our relatives around the holidays so that we can uh, have arguments with the crazy uncle and suck it up one more. It's just one day out of the year. Just suck it up. That mother-in-law, that father-in-law, that whatever it is in law, whatever the trope is, whoever the relative is, <laughs> it's probably us and we don't know it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was me. Let, let's face it. But that's become our continuity and that's become the thing that we will even destroy Earth to foster driving around to see people we don't like because it's a holiday <laughs> because it's a day off from the, the nine to five work grind. Now it's, Oh, it's time to go visit the, the relatives we don't like. <laughs> I know. Obviously that's not everybody. People love their relatives. I get it, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, enough of us, you can apply that to other quadrants of your life. It's, it's There's some part of your life where you're doing things you really don't want to do, and it's not be, because there's some necessity to do them. There is that. There's always like, right, you have to have the discipline to do things you don't want to do um, for the greater good or for your own good. Uh, but then there's the stuff that we just put up with, and we put up with it so that we can complain about it the next morning. Or for some reason, it's easier to access the feelings of dread and depression and all of that uh, moment to moment, day to day th through this self than it is to give up the self um, because, well, obviously because you can't give up the self, the brain hearing this, the in taking the, these very words into the ears has to uh, hear them so clearly that it powers down the self and then vital life force may become the self-awareness of the body. You'd think the brain with all of its logic would want that, but oh no. Because the brain wants to have its own self-awareness. The body wants to have its own self-awareness. It equates death of self with its own death. And it behaves accordingly. You behave accordingly. It's that robotic, folks. We are that robotic. The way out is in. And not into the personal self, to our impersonal nature, which projects the body, which projects the self, which is the miracle of life.
which has its own newness, its own self-awareness, which is to be lived as a stage, not visited or stumbled into by accident as a state of mind. Until we do that, the day destroys the night, the night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Oh yeah, you ain't breaking through to crap. <laughs>